there are so many ways in Washington to say no. There's so many ways to kill an idea. There's so much risk aversion in how we operate, uh, and uh, that it 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 it's it's a uh, Herculean feat to do anything major. Uh, but when it happens, when you do have sustained mobilization that isn't just a presidential campaign, but continues to fight, which you've done for uh, cash uh, relief, uh, then you see that things can do- get done and can change. And so I have admiration for your supporters that they've stuck with this, stuck with you, uh, and have gotten more engaged, more involved after your campaign than just saying, okay, we did our thing and we made our contribution to this country. I'm reflecting on the fact that, look, if 55% of us are for universal basic income, problem solved, right? And then it's like problem not solved at all because of the stuff that you're describing. Welcome back to the next episode of Yang Speaks. It's good to be with you all. Thank you for tuning in. Ro Khanna is joining this episode. This episode's going to be amazing. Uh, so thanks for being here. I'm Zach Grauman. I was Andrew Yang's campaign manager for our presidential run in 2020, and I'm your co-host of Yang Speaks. First things first, guys, check out the new digs. I know it's not great. I've you guys have been trashing me hilariously on Twitter about my backdrop. I agree, it's not been great. And it's not done yet. Still a work in progress. But you got me, like, a, a little better. Thank you all for those of you who tuned in to our first episode of our limited series, The Future Of. We did The Future Of Buying and E-Commerce last Thursday. Thursday episodes are back, folks. Get ready. Get excited. The feedback's been really positive, so thank you all for that and for the love. So tune in every Thursday for Thursday episodes on our future. And this week we're talking about why Texas, the entire state, just froze over. Why there's snow and ice and problems in Texas. It's the climate change episode, folks. The future of energy. So we've got professors on who are experts in carbon capture. I've got experts who are um, in the global health effects of climate change. And I've got a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur who's built one of the first power plants that can capture the energy burned from coal way more efficiently. Really exciting conversation. You guys are going to love it. So that's this Thursday. Thursday episodes are back. Get excited. That's number one. Number two, speaking of Texas, I hope you all got a good laugh. A very dark laugh, I guess, on Cancun Cruise. <laughs> so those of you, in case you haven't noticed this, uh, heard about this, Senator Ted Cruz, yes, the same senator who's said he would play Andrew one-on-one in basketball, and then just bailed. Uh, He bailed again. He, in the middle of this historic crisis in Texas, we've got millions without power and water and heat, just left to Cancun, just up and left, which is ridiculous. Now, look, I don't want to judge people on what they do to protect their family within the bounds of the law. So people do what they can to, to protect the situation they're in, and that is fine. But when you're an elected official... The rules are different, okay? The expectations are different. We literally elected you to deal with this type of thing, to lead in times of crisis. So for you to leave, that's literally not doing your job the only time when it really, really matters. That to me was so infuriating and um, he's taking a lot of heat for it. That is well, well, well deserved. And the reality is this, say what you want about Beto O'Rourke. And I don't agree with everything that he, 
you know, all of his policies, if you will. But he never would have left Texas. Never. And hasn't now. Now, sadly, any press is good press in this day and age. So, God forbid, this probably helps Ted Cruz in the long run in terms of his, like, electability and popularity and name ID. But, um... Still absurd. And for those of you in the Yang Gang or those of you who are listening in that are in Texas, um, we are praying for you. Um, I'm donating to causes that can help, um, particularly those less fortunate. I have a good friend. I have a number of good friends in Texas. And one of them said, she said, I was like, how are you doing? Are you guys holding up? Okay. She said, Zach, imagine being a girl going outside in negative 14 degrees or 14 degrees outside. I don't know. Freezing cold. It's sleeting and you're trying to pee standing up in the wind. She's like, it's been a disaster. Um, but that said, she said, look, we were fortunate enough to have a home and a fireplace and blankets and have access to food. And a lot of people don't have that same luxury. So it's it's rough for us, but we are fine. There's millions of families, hundreds of thousands of families really struggling. So our prayers are going out to you. Um, and I believe help is on the way where Joe Biden, I believe, just declared a um, federal emergency funds to the state of Texas. So hopefully aid is getting to those who need it most. And for those of you in Texas, we are praying for you and hopefully trying to help you as much as we can. Speaking of help, the third thing I wanted to talk about, guys, I just wanted to pause because we haven't done this enough. And I just want to say to the Yang gang and those of you who supported Andrew, particularly early on, I just want to say I love you. I just want to say I freaking love you. It hasn't been a fun year, particularly. Um, it's, we lost the presidential election, then COVID hit, and this community and family that, look, it wasn't perfect, but it was, it was us. It was, it was, it was full of the right things, full of humanity first and, and a belief in a, something bigger than us. And it felt ripped apart a bit. Um, and a very stressful time, a stressful election that happened. Um, and here we are now, and You've got press hitting Andrew like every day, you know, and, and even me at times getting our names dragged through the mud. It's all day, every day. And it's um, during this, so many of you have reached out to Andrew, have posted online, have reached out to me, and you've sent love and you've sent positivity. And I just wanted to say, I love you. And Andrew loves you. And we appreciate it. Um, we love you right back. And look, the bottom line is Andrew Yang and myself have always, always, always done this and are doing this right now for the right reasons. And that reason is simple. We want to save our country. We want to save the country we love, the people we love in it, and leave a better place for our kids, something we can be proud of for our, our children and their children. Um, and that has not changed from day one. Now, I promise you, it would be a lot easier to just go, frankly, like go back into the corporate America and make money. Um, or be an entrepreneur. Um, it is a lot easier to do that, frankly, but that wouldn't solve what we're fighting for. And uh, so I wanted to say I love you guys and, and stay strong. Eyes on the prize. Stephen Covey says, keep the, the main thing is keep the main thing the main thing. And that's the main thing, folks. We're trying to save the world. I love you to death. Thank you. And those of you like trash talk me on Twitter, fine. Love you too. I love you guys. Let's bring on Rokan. Rokan is represented from California's 17th district. We love Ro. We had a lot of similar supporters. Um, he has a lot of support in the tech community and the Asian community, just like us. He was the co-chair for Bernie Sanders' 2020 presidential campaign. And one of the few who actually stood up and said, where's the $2,000 check to all Americans um, during COVID? And oh, God forbid, if that does not happen, we will be very, very upset. But Ro Khan has been in our camp 
He's a great man. It's a great interview. You're going to love it. It's a conversation about the inner workings of politics and what's going on in our political world today. So enjoy it. Ro Khanna joins Yang Speaks. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. It is my pleasure and privilege to welcome to Yang Speaks, my good friend, one of the great hopes for the country, uh, Congressman representing Silicon Valley, co-chair of the Bernie Sanders campaign, freaking public policy genius, fighter for the people, Ro Khanna. Welcome, Ro. Well, Andrew, the admiration is mutual, and uh, you've uh, helped put the uh, idea of giving monthly checks on uh, people's radar. I remember when you were running on that and people mocked you, uh, and now uh, it has become the consensus opinion in this country that uh, how we should address it. So you, you certainly have been vindicated in one of the many things you've advocated for. Well, thank you, Ro. You always saw it. Uh, you and I were um, connected before my presidential run, uh, and you were one of the people that was trying to expand the benefits of Silicon Valley to different parts of the country. Uh, you drafted the Internet Bill of Rights, which is a fantastic uh, bill that, you know, I, I, I certainly hope becomes law. Pretty much like I'm a fan of so many of your bills. And one of the things I want to talk about today is really how people can help you um, get some of these bills passed, because uh, you would you and I like if people watching or listening to this, to the extent that you're fans of mine, um, if you can imagine me in Congress, like that's pretty much Roe, like Roe's Ro just there, like hatching up policies and everything else. But let's give uh, people a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And you and I have a lot in common, too. We're also in our mid 40s, children of Im immigrants. Um, uh, you know, you also went to law school. But how did you arrive in Congress in California? Because that's a very, uh, uh, a very unusual uh, position to find yourself in. So I uh, grew up in uh, Pennsylvania. My folks are still there in Bucks County. Uh, and uh, after law school, I had uh, a professor, Larry Lessig, who uh, you may know wrote code. We love and, Larry Lessig. He's been on the right. podcast. 
So he was, uh, he, I never had him put class, but I was a research assistant for him. And he just kind of offhandedly said, look, the most interesting thing, the intersection of technology and law and policy is out in the valley. You ought to come out here. And I, I went out. Uh, I had a, a job at a law firm as a summer associate at Wilson Sonsini that did tech work. And I was just uh, so intrigued by the place and the possibilities and uh, never left. So that's that's how I made it out there. Uh, it also happens to be that uh, in Fremont, they actually play cricket. And I said, where, where else in the country do you have all these cultures, all these uh, uh, people from all over over the world? So uh, that's what uh, drew me out there. And then uh, and now uh, it's a great honor to be able to represent the place in Congress. You skipped over a bunch of stuff, too, man. <laughs> Weren't you like deputy assistant secretary of commerce under Obama and some other um, pretty major milestones in there? Well, I, so the. Ron, I'm actually proudest of, which I lost uh, 72 to 19, uh, is my, I, I ran against the war of, in Iraq and against the Patriot Act, against an incumbent in my own party in my late 20s. And it was a, a protest run. But my grandfather, is, uh, as you know, is, is, had spent uh, years in uh, jail with, with Gandhi during the Indian independence movement. And so I've always been very passionate about human rights. And I thought the Iraq war was a disaster. The Patriot Act, which was profiling at the time. Uh, South Asians uh, was really uh, something that I opposed. And, and after that, I got involved uh, in the community with the party, uh, supported President Obama. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, I had worked on uh, Obama's first campaign when he was running for the state Senate. By worked, I mean, probably spent four hours uh, knocking on doors or standing outside a shopping center. Uh, it didn't dawn on me until much later in my life that he had already had that race won. Uh, and he just had some students uh, uh, basically doing the, the formality of outreach. But anyway, I had a letter which he had signed probably to every student who had done anything for him. And I, I sent that in along with my everything else. And so I tell people it's really easy to go work for the president. You just when you're in college have to figure out who's going to be president in 15 years and get them to, to work on one of their campaigns. So maybe they'll work on your one of your campaigns. And uh uh, but that that uh, in cir circumstance led me to commerce, and uh, and the reality is, you know, with all these positions, is yes, you have to be passionate, but you also have to uh, have the confidence of, of of the presidential team. Uh, but I loved my job; it was all about bringing manufacturing back, increasing exports. I worked under uh, Gary Locke. Uh, one of the things I say is, you know, we would send Gary Locke to negotiate with China. China wasn't sending an American. Uh, someone of American origin to, to, to negotiate with us. Uh, Gary Locke and I spoke just two days ago, believe it or not. Um, you know, he, he, he's been a role model of mine for obvious reasons, because he's like the first um, Asian American governor of Washington and a lot of other and the secretary of commerce. Um, so I guess he was your boss for a little while before you he was. Uh, went back to Congress and then ran for Congress won, And now you've been doing phenomenal work. I will say, Ro, and at the time, you and I weren't uh, as, as uh, friendly as we are now. Um, but I was a little hurt when you chose Bernie <laughs> over me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't do a war powers resolution with me, Andrew. I mean, if you were in Congress and we had tried to stop the Yemen war together, uh, you know, I would have picked you. Uh, oh, I see how it is. <laughs> you and Bernie there trying to pass laws, trying to keep the U.S. out of wars. <laughs> And just because I wasn't there, you didn't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kidding. But one of my it favorite was, uh, moments for the presidential debate is when you uh, told Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, the, oh, you're so excited, Elizabeth Warren. I read your book, and I thought 
what a moment of, of humanity because I, I'm in the process of writing the book and I had the same thought. I'd love it. I'd be thrilled if Elizabeth Warren uh, read my book or Bernie Sanders. And so uh, it, it was this, I don't know if you remember the moment, but oh, you have I remember. this kind of genuine <laughs> oh, no, excitement. I, I remember that moment. <laughs> uh, so you're writing a book. That's very exciting. Um, can you share what it's about? Sure. It's, it's actually about expanding access to the digital economy in, in rural communities and black and brown communities, but more broadly also applying the principles of democracy uh, to the digital age. This idea that uh, the social media platforms that just by creating platforms of communication uh, that we'd somehow have uh, more deliberation or peace has turned out not to be true, partly because they've targeted us. You mean the social data. media companies haven't made us all smarter, Ro? We're not all like much more sophisticated? And educated, <laughs> I, I, unfortunately not. But it's the it's the early stages, right? I mean, the interesting thing with the printing press, you go back, you look at the history. It took like hundreds of years where the printing press actually, because of written works, was leading to reactions of actually war and conflict. And it took building of liberal institutions to now come to a consensus that uh, the printing press obviously is a great dissemination of knowledge, but that it wasn't also creating violent reactions. So. We're just 20 years into social media. It could, it could be enormous in organizing, but we've got to think through what are the forms of communication, the rules of communication, and how do we uh, give people more choice and not have uh, targeting based on based on our uh, data and in, in the ways that Facebook has been doing it. Well, that's one of the things you're trying to solve for with your Internet Bill of Rights. Um, so you're in the midst of this in a way that very few others are. My sense of things is that there are some very well-intended legislators like yourself who understand what's going on with our data that is getting sold and resold in ways that are uh, bad for democracy, bad for our mental health, uh, bad economics, and that you know it's worth hundreds of billions of dollars and we're not seeing a dime. Um, the financial incentives are not serving us well. Uh, and then you have your home state of California that's actually the leader in uh, consumer data rights. Um, my sense of things is that this legislation is kind of stuck in Congress and that it's more likely that various states end up following California's lead than that Congress passes something that mirrors uh, the California Privacy Act. Um, is that accurate? Because I'm sure you have your finger on the pulse of what the legislation looks like. And I hope I'm wrong because I'd be thrilled no. if there were federal legislation. We may get federal legislation with Shikaski, but Let me go into some detail here because I know you and, and, and your listeners will appreciate it. Here's the challenge with both the GDPR in Europe and uh, California's uh, consumer rights and why we need a beefed up FTC and FCC and the federal government to act. One, look at the European fines. I mean, yesterday or a couple of days ago, I read that Italy found that Facebook misused uh, uh, their, uh, their data. So they're fining them. $7 million? I mean, give me a break. The, the Facebook's not going to you, know, you saw Illinois... Uh, there was a yeah. civil settlement for six hundred fifty million dollars, which at, at least like would hit their radar screen. But at least that would never hit yeah. their radar screen. You know, I mean, it, 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 probably it's an intern would notice a seven million dollar fine. Uh, the second thing is, and this is a, the more important thing is, so when they have these consent, it turns out there was this paper done that these tech companies have been able through graphics and placement basically get people to click on uh, yes, I consent almost 80, 90% of times. Oh, by the way, No one knows what we're agreeing to. None of us. Yeah. I mean, you and I went to law school. We still have no idea what we're agreeing to half the time. <laughs> exactly. And so even with all the good language of the junior, so what does this mean? We actually need like tech competent people in enforcement agencies at the FTC, at yes. the FCC. And we've got to have uh, very 
them at the table in, in, in defining these laws, I don't think a state-by-state approach or just the European approach is going to be any match for these companies. I mean, I see them, they're in my district. Uh, and so we absolutely need federal legislation, but more than that, we need the enforcement and tech competent people in those agencies who can say, no, you can't have manipulative design, these dark patterns that basically are manipulating people into consent. What do you see as the prospects of uh, federal legislation and these enforcement resources that could actually balance the scales? Uh, because I agree with you that right now government is outgunned. Well, I think we it's going to take more people caring about it, right? For so long, it was just, uh, that's just a techie issue. It's just privacy. Why should I care about privacy? Here's why you should care, because 64% of people on Facebook who joined QAnon were there with Facebook recommendations to join. You're now on these public Facebook forums. Facebook made some money off of it. Yeah, the whole thing is yeah. messed up. <laughs> so if you care about the radicalization of our country and the polarization on social media, uh, we've got to care about how our information is being used, not just because of your privacy, because your privacy decision affects the state of our democratic discourse. And so what, the reason we don't have action on this, frankly, is we don't have the mobilization. No one is out there on my, uh, very few people are calling me and saying, well, we need privacy legislation, we need social media regulated. They're calling me and saying, understandably, we need $15 minimum wage and other issues. But until we have mobilization, this is just going to continue to be uh, stalled. I'm 100% with you that most people don't understand the urgency of uh, federal data and privacy legislation and enforcement resources, because right now the tech companies are running circles around everybody. Uh, and, and there's not even like a like uh, a principal debate that's happening that that is accurate at all. Like most legislatures just don't understand the set of issues. But one thing I, I really admired about your presidential campaign is you had a clear theory of the case, which I happen to share, which is in part that we're going through a digital revolution that is fundamentally transforming society. It's leaving communities out of wealth generation and out of the possibility of staying in their own communities and doing well. And it's also making it much diff more difficult to have democratic conversation. But it's sort of like we're going and attacking uh, discrete parts of the issue without seeing that there's this huge. There's a central disease shift. in the middle of it, man. The central, right. like the like the social media networks, like this tentacle beast in the middle of the whole thing. If someone wanted to help, would it be helpful if they were to reach out to their member of Congress and say, "Hey, like get behind this federal data legislation"? Like, what can the average citizen do? Absolutely. So Shakowsky's uh, bill is the is the uh, the bill on privacy legislation that would get get passed, and it's still being. Uh, worked on, but I think just being part of the conversation and saying this is something that we ought to care about, having ideas, sending us their, uh, the ideas for that, uh, and, it, and and insisting that this should be part of the agenda for uh, 2022, that this has to be a high priority. Let's do it, people. Write your members of Congress. Let them know that you think the Fed should pass legislation protecting our data rights and making it so that there's actual enforcement of those rights, and that's not the tech companies laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, so that's one thing you're working on, but that's not even the main thing. Um, you're working on uh, trying to get cash out to people. Is that correct? Which obviously uh, I am 100% behind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you helped with uh, helping Tim Ryan and I conceive of this. We, we were calling for this in March with, with your advocacy at Help, which said, let's get people $2,000 checks. Uh, partly, I, I read uh, 
one of the most compelling studies, which is that so many people, I think I read up to 75% of people who are unemployed aren't getting the unemployment benefits. And I had to reread it to uh, really get that. I'm sure but that's true. Out, yeah, it's yeah, but pe- people either don't know about it or don't have the uh, wherewithal to be able to get them. So the best way is just get people these checks uh, and uh, they will spend it locally. They'll make sure they want, aren't their houses aren't getting foreclosed on. They'll be able to help with rent or help the small business landlords. I mean, a lot of people who aren't uh, paying the rent, we're forgetting about the small businesses that are being hurt. So I don't understand why if we find these trillions of dollars to be bailing out everything else, eight trillion is what we've spent uh, so far as a, as a country, why we can't get some of the money to the working and so, middle class. So you say it's eight. CARES was like 2.2. Uh, are you including this massive number that went to the uh, financial markets? Like, uh, yes. where'd you get to eight? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I read. With the, when you look at what both the Fed has done and and, and the uh, and what the, the Congress has done, and of course there were a number of other packages uh, as well. And you sum up all of that. Uh, that is about the spending. But the the American people but, does, said, does the aid include the new one point nine that we think will pass in March? No, no, no. This is before. So that. it'll be ten. It'll be ten, it'll be 10 by yeah. the time. But <laughs> you know, someone should do this. I, I, someone should have a, a breakdown of how much money directly went to the American people and how much did uh, the government spend. And, you know, it's it makes no sense why you wouldn't have both a large. It, it makes no sense money. at all, man. I mean, I, I tried to do the math on the CARES Act and you could have given every American um, like six thousand dollars for the amount that was in the CARES Act instead of what do we get? I think we got uh, 12, maybe twelve hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you could have like, you know, made that five times bigger and still had money to spare. So there was the bill that you and Tim championed, which I loved, uh, the $2,000 uh, a month bill. I think it got at least like dozens of supporters. Uh, like, what is the, what is the status of cash relief right now? I get the sense that Joe Biden um, and the team are saying $1,400 for everyone as part of this $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, I think. Um, yes. And then and then are there separate bills that are on the table that we can uh, push and uh, and try and get passed into law? Well, Tim and I still had the Emergency People Act uh, bill. And so we're pushing right now, obviously, to get the uh, the fourteen hundred and not to, uh, to to means test it in ways. I mean, they, there were some people who wanted to means test it where Biden would end up giving less than the means testing that Trump was talking about. So that now is pushing off the table. Uh, nice work. We'll, we'll, we'll get the. Uh, $1,400. And then the question is that there's got to be something recurring. And that's the, the real fight that when the next round of uh, stimulus comes up, COVID relief comes up, can we uh, be pro- providing people with uh, with relief until we're past the uh, past the pandemic? Well, love this bill that you and Tim uh, co-sponsored. How many people are on that bill? Like, uh, and, and how many people do you think we need? We're over 50. We, you know, getting over 100 is always the magic number. Uh, and I appreciate uh, everything you and uh, a lot of your uh, followers have done to, to build support for this. Job number two, everyone, emergency money for the people. Act. get your member of Congress to sign on. If we get 50 more, then it passes the 100 mark. And then all of a sudden uh, you'll see articles written about it. And all these people will have to opine on it. Uh, so we're halfway there. Um, in my mind, this stuff really should be a no brainer because we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on all sorts of stuff. And most of it is not falling into the hands and lives of the American people. It's very frustrating. It's like like it's getting pumped into various uh, pipes and institutions with the theoretical purpose that it will reach us, 
but most of it does not reach us. So if, it, if, you, if you want to have the money reach us, you could just send it to us. Um, and Roe is trying to make that happen. So, so thankful to you and Tim um, and everyone else who's fighting for it. No, I appreciate your push for it. And some people say, well, why do folks need it who uh, haven't uh, lost their jobs? I said, have you seen COVID over the last uh, 10 months? I mean, people are having to spend more time uh, taking care of their kids. People are having to spend more time at home. People are having to uh, it, it, much greater burdens in terms of uh, things they need to uh, to be able to deal in a in, in a remote economy or uh, others are having yes. to uh, cut back on hours. So it is a uh, this is not just all the only only the unemployed need this help. That's just a uh, we all are struggling uh, very myopic ways. way of looking at it. I could not agree more. Like the, the metaphor I use all the time, Ro, is like with when the house is on fire, you turn on the fire hoses and you spray it down with water. What you don't worry about is like, oh, did some of the water splash on a part of the house that wasn't on fire? <laughs> you know? like, like that's like, the way you think about it. I mean, like we're it's still in the midst of a, an historic crisis. People are in food lines for miles. Uh, people are still losing their lives. Uh, many people are still losing their livelihoods. I mean, I, I'm in New York City and there are restaurants that have been hanging on that are now closing. So like the, the struggles are everywhere. Uh, and anyone who imagines that we can somehow like allocate dollars like very, very precisely only to like certain people, like it, it's just not realistic. It's like, we're much better off um, driving it out to people, particularly because it's our money anyway. I mean, like we're the freaking, uh, you know, citizens, owners and stakeholders of this economy. It's like, like, like you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like whenever a company gives its shareholders dividends and no one looks around and is like, oh, why did you do that? Like there was a rich shareholder in there. <laughs> like, that's not yeah. the way it works at all. And they're going to spend it and create jobs and that's going to bring more tax revenue back. So uh, the, the it, it's actually shown by economists to have uh, a huge stimulus effect, a huge job creation effect. It's the right policy. It's just a matter of uh, now getting the political will to do it. But you've you had an impact and all, because we've at least gotten direct checks. Believe it or not, that was not part of our policy before. So even though we've had only a $1,200, $600, now we'll have a $1,400 check. I mean, the fact that this was the issue in the entire Georgia Senate race, I mean, would you ever guess that they're running on $2,000 checks as the defining issue of who controls the Senate? So uh, I say all of this because uh, progress can be slow and painful, but to uh, see where you were when you announced the idea of giving a monthly check and to see where we've come, should give your uh, followers and supporters a lot of uh, uh, optimism. Well, certainly, I, I'm very grateful to everyone who supported my campaign because I feel like we helped make it happen. Uh, I'm thrilled that there are conscientious legislators like you actually uh, writing bills and, and passing them to try and get money out to people. So now we've got everyone, let members of Congress know that you care about what's happening to your data. Number two is definitely Emergency Money for the People Act. I mean, that's mission critical. Uh, that, that I'd say is like, you know, number one um, in terms of people's immediate needs. Uh, what else are you working on? Because I know there's there's one bill of yours I love, the Cheaters Act, but I don't know if that's like the, like the like your top priority. So we'd love to hear what your number three would be. Well, let's talk about the Cheaters Act. Uh, there are two other priorities, but the Cheaters Act is important because it's so simple. It says that you can raise $1.2 trillion in this country just by enforcing the 
uh, taxes on the biggest corporations and the 1%. We're not talking about going after tax avoidance. We're not talking about clever schemes that rich people have to avoid uh, paying tax and deductions. We're talking about actual tax evasion that is illegal, that is not being enforced by the IRS because the IRS doesn't have the staff to audit the, the 1% or large corporations. They're spending their time auditing instead people who get the earned income tax credit and get $25,000 uh, salaries are being audited at a greater rate in certain states than uh, the, the, the wealthiest are. So the bill says, uh, let's actually uh, audit uh, the people who are most likely to be uh, uh, evading, and that will raise $1.2 trillion. By the way, Larry Summers uh, is idea. Larry Summers and another uh, economics professor it's, at Penn. It's another no-brainer, honestly. Like it, the, the IRS's entire budget is around $10 billion. There was at least one estimate I saw that said, um, we're leaving 400 billion <laughs> in taxes <laughs> on the table. So it's like, wait a minute, like, and this is what you're saying. It's like, look, if you just actually enforce the laws on the books, like you would end up generating hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue just based upon the rules as they're written now. Uh, because right now the IRS is auditing something like a third of 1% <laughs> of like the, you know, like the big companies and the highest earners. And so, you know, yeah. there's all sorts of like, um, you know, like people taking advantage of it. Uh, has this bill been introduced and what are its prospects? I'm a huge fan it, of the Cheaters it, Act. I, thought, I think the acronym is funny as hell too. It, it's been introduced. And actually, this is something I think that could unite the Democratic caucus because look, we may disagree on uh, whether we should have a wealth tax or not, I'm for it. We may disagree with progressive taxation, but this is just saying everyone should play for by the same rules and you can raise $1.2 In fact, most rich people should be for this. You're rich and you've actually been paying your taxes, which most people actually do based on the data. Shouldn't it bother you that there are these 20, 30 percent who are not paying taxes or hurting the country, hurting the image of, of those who are wealthy? So this is just about uh, fairness. And I, I'm hopeful that uh, the Biden administration gets behind this is probably the low-hanging fruit of how the Democratic Party can raise revenue, and even some Republicans maybe maybe for it. I hope it uh, gets passed because it's a great idea. It's just like, look, um, I'm not even going to argue with you about like where to draw the line. I'm just going to say we should enforce the lines as they're currently drawn. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very very smart. Uh, so it sounds like you had a couple of other things that are on your your party list because this is great. This is a great list. What what's number four? Well, one is your senator and I, uh, Schumer, and I have a bill called the Endless Frontiers, which is bipartisan. It's got uh, Mike Gallagher, Republican Marine from Wisconsin, and uh, Todd Young, uh, senator from Indiana. And it is a $100 billion investment in the uh, National Science Foundation to make it the National Science and Technology Foundation to create uh, investments in AI so that we're not just dependent on large voluminous data AI, synthetic biology, uh, uh, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and of tech hubs in different parts of the country. Uh, this is, in my view, necessary for competitiveness. It's necessary for job creation. Uh, you and I have talked about the, the relationship with China. While we need to, in my view, be uh, tough and smart, we also shouldn't be replicating a paradigm of a Cold War. And this is actually the way to win the 21st century. Let's actually outcompete. Let's out-innovate uh, the, the, the rest of the world. So, uh, Schumer has said that this is a huge priority for him in the Senate. Uh, I'm pushing this in the House. Uh, this fits in with Biden's bill back better. Uh, and we have a real shot to, to get this across the finish line. Well, I love it. Uh, science and technology investment at the highest levels makes perfect sense. It'll pay for itself many times over. 
uh, in national competitiveness. A lot of our biggest innovations came out of um, public dollars, uh, you know, including some of the technologies behind SpaceX and Tesla, which now everyone associates with, <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, Elon and the rest of it. But like Elon readily acknowledges, it's like, look, like, you know, like some of this stuff um, came out of the feds. Uh, so that's number four. Uh, that's also a slam dunk and a home run. Um, and then you had one other that's on your mind, uh, the fifth? So the fifth is one of the things I did with Senator Sanders, which is we passed for the first time in the history of the country, the War Powers Resolution to stop the Yemen war. Uh, President Biden, to his Very credit, uh, has announced that uh, the U.S. is going to shift policy. We're no longer going to be uh, supporting the Saudi in their offensive bombing in Yemen. Uh, why should people care? Uh, the country of Yemen faces a famine of unbelievable... It's a humanitarian uh, crisis. It's wrong. Um, I actually just yesterday spent time with the Yemeni American community. Uh, they're lovely, wonderful people, and it has been painful for them to see what's going on in their home country. There's actually been an influx of people from Yemen because, and they did not want to leave Yemen, but, uh, but the conflict has driven people out because people feared for their lives. Um, so it's a humanitarian crisis, and the United States has not done enough to stop it. I mean, it, you know, we, we have not done enough to stop it. Yeah, man. Unfortunately, for years we've been complicit in it. We were actually. Yeah, no, I was about to doing. say we've kind of abetted it. So I thought I'd be a little bit uh, diplomatic, but but that's what even even people at the highest level of government uh, understand that that we were on the wrong side of this, and that means that we can't just wash our hands and say, okay, now that we've stopped, thanks to President Biden, uh, let's just uh, leave it be. We have, in my view, given the role we played, a moral obligation to help this war end. And how do we help the war end? We've got to tell the Saudis, Iran, and the UAE, all sides, to stop pouring money, stop pouring arms into Yemen, uh, let the UN peace negotiator, Martin Griffiths, uh, help resolve it. If it becomes a civil war in Yemen, that at least has a chance at peace. When you have all of these actors that are pouring money in, uh, the war will never end. So uh, Congress has played a major role here, and it's something that I'm going to continue to push for. Thank goodness for you and Bernie pushing for this. I mean, uh, it, it would be a tremendous uh, positive if um, we could somehow ease the conflict in Yemen and, and diminish the forces that are right now fueling it. So, Ro, you supported Bernie, uh, which I appreciated a great deal, despite my joking earlier. Um, uh, you know, Joe won. Um, Bernie is there in the Senate making good things happen. You're in Congress making good things happen. What is the legislative climate right now? Like, how are you feeling? How does the Progressive Caucus feel? Like, do you feel like you're going to be able to get big things done? Um, do you have a sense of what the administration's legislative priorities are. So you're like, oh, well, maybe we can, like I get the sense that their next big move is going to be infrastructure after yeah. uh, after this uh, COVID relief bill goes out. And I'm completely down with the fact that everything is being um, uh, focused on this COVID relief bill because you know, like this thing passing is uh, job one. Um, but yeah, like what what is the insider's point of view on, um, what you believe like the, the opportunities are and the legislative climate right now so the progressive caucus actually has finally become a force uh which is which is having an impact i mean there was talk as you followed of 
stripping out the minimum wage, the $15 wage, even from the House bill, we push back. It's going to be in uh, the legislation, at least they put it in the House. We're, you know, we're pushing that. Uh, we, we've got to get to the point where we're taking advantage of all the procedural uh, steps to get things done. Uh, and that means, in my view, that it should be done on reconciliation. And if the parliamentarian goes against it, we can, we should overrule the parliamentarian. If the parliamentarian that was said that the ACA can be repealed through reconciliation and you can't give people a raise of uh, $15. So that's something that we're pushing for. Uh, we're pushing to make sure we push back against the means testing on these checks so that we weren't having to cut off that we succeeded. Biden has, done, has some good things in that $1.9 trillion. The most important, in my view, is the child tax credit, which uh, Columbia University has said uh, would cut child poverty in half. I mean, it's almost $3,600 for families with kids. That's an incredibly progressive policy. That's huge. Yes. And, uh, and, and Biden deserves credit for having it. So I think you, what you see is Biden started off in, a, in my view, a, 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 a pretty good place. The Progressive Caucus has had a constructive influence and uh, and it looks like we're going to pass this on reconciliation. So we're not waiting around uh, and diluting it uh, for mythical Republican votes. I'm all for bipartisanship, as the endless frontier suggested. No, I mean, but, but there, not, there's a reason why I was in Georgia yeah. fighting it out, man. It's like I, I can yeah. see very clearly that if you had to have Mitch McConnell signing off on things or whatever, like, you know, can you imagine what this bill would even look like in, in that world? It would be well, like a completely different bill. To, to give you a sense of McConnell, the... The fact is that we had this Bill Schumer and I last uh, uh, session, and we have two Republicans. It's about science and technology investment in our competitiveness, right? It's not it even about be fairness. Sure. It should be everyone. And, and McConnell wasn't willing to move that. So now when you're talking about, well, let's give working class Americans a raise, you understand the, the obstacles. As I often put it, if you couldn't get uh, Donald Trump to, to have 60 votes of conviction in the Senate, uh, not I mean, you needed 67, but you couldn't even get 60, you understand that, I mean, those are the people you have to convince to overcome the filibuster. So that's just not realistic. I was making the same argument to people when, like, in Georgia, some people were like, don't you want checks and balances bipartisanship? And I was like, that is not the choice in front of you. The choice is a government that will actually uh, be able to meaningfully respond to this crisis or not. <laughs> and so if you want your government to be able to do anything, you have to get, like, uh, you know, these Democratic senators in. Uh, I am so pumped that Chuck Schumer is the Senate Majority Leader. I spoke to him the other day. Um, uh, you know, in, in passing. He's doing a great event. job, actually. He's, he's, he's really pushing the envelope and has really reached out to all of us in the Progressive Caucus and, and wants to be bold. He gets, a, gets the moment and he understands the arcane procedures of the Senate, which you have to understand to, to be effective. Uh, I, uh, Chuck seems like he's doing tremendous work. Um, and if you can imagine from his perspective, he's been waiting for this freaking job for a while. <laughs> now no, he's got, he's trying to make the most of it as you are trying to make the most out of your role, Ro. Um, so if people want to support you um, individually, please do follow Ro on social media. Um, he's very active. Uh, what else can people do to fuel uh, your work, um, either individually or legislatively um, or getting uh, their own members of Congress excited about some of these issues. Well, I love what you've done, uh, Andrew, because you've inspired a movement around the country. And I think people, one, they can engage with me and you can tweet at me and I actually get good ideas from folks. You'll see I engage with folks. You can email me at row at rowcana.com. When you are on social media, if you're talking to your member of Congress, don't assume that they aren't going to pay attention. Let me tell you, members of Congress pay attention. So 
yes, uh, we can't go and meet members of Congress right now with the pandemic, uh, but be active on the issues you care about on social media. Just, on, just take that yeah. link to the emergency P money for the people act and just like send it to your congressman. <laughs> like like but, I, I did that about a, a fair about. What I will say is the there is such creativity, there is such ingenuity uh, outside of Washington, and I don't say I have a lot of respect for public servants. I have a lot of respect. I don't say this as some sort of broadside against everyone in Washington. I just say that we need new thinking, we need new ideas. A lot of your uh, supporters, volunteers have those, send them in. I mean, almost all the good ideas I've had have come from someone else who I just listened to. And I said, oh, okay, let's run with that. And I, I just think we need an infusion of that kind of thinking in, in Congress. Well, that's one of the things I learned from you, Ro. Um, when we had a conversation before, like you talked about the seniority-based system in Congress, uh, you know, you showed up. Um, and, and I love the fact that now you're finding points of leverage where you're like, okay, how am I going to get things done, uh, you know, within this vast legislative body? Some people have been there uh, 18, 20, 30 years, you know, like, <laughs> and, and the rest of it. Um, and uh, you're the perfect combination of wanting to get a lot of stuff done um, and vision, um, uh, but also, um, you know, you're, you're a coalition builder, you're practical, like you're going to be like, okay, like, um, you know, what are the goals that I can accomplish and who can I get on board with them? I'm so grateful you're in Congress doing what you're doing. I'm grateful that it's you representing Silicon Valley. I think you're a fantastic blend of both the future uh, regarding uh, tech-oriented policies, but mostly like you're looking out for people, uh, you know, and you're, you're trying to, to meld those two things. Um, and hopefully we can make it so that it's working for both uh, like the average person and the innovator. Well, I appreciate that, Andrew. I feel similarly about you and why your campaign was historic and what you're gonna be doing next is so important. Uh, not just because you broke every barrier as an Asian American and uh, took that taken seriously at the presidential scale. By the way, that's no uh, small feat. I mean, when I was growing up, I don't know what, when you were growing up, but the idea that you could have an Asian American become a major presidential candidate uh, seemed pretty far uh, off. Far as, out, as even yeah. Possible. It certainly wasn't coming out up in the Yang household. <laughs> but, 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 but you did something more important. I saw that when you had the math, uh, math signs. I mean, you started talking about the real issues for this country. And, that, and the question is this for us. Are we going to just settle uh, for a, a decline, a, a, a sense that uh, things aren't uh, uh, what they used to be? Or are we going to offer a vision that, no, these next 50, 100 years are going to be America's greatest. We're going to take this incredible diversity and we're going to have innovation and we're going to be inclusive and we're going to have radical equality and democracy and we're going to build something for a country that we've never seen before, a multiracial, multiethnic democracy that's working, that's innovating. And by the way, this is the model that's going to win the 21st century. We're not going to replicate cold wars. We're not going to replicate all the mistakes that were made of the yeah, 20th right century. Learn from that, our mistakes of, uh, from, from our past. Uh, you nothing know, would be more transformative than the emergency money for the people act passing, I, I have to say. And uh, really, if you're listening to this, we're 50 members of Congress away from this becoming, uh, you know, something that's front and center. 85% of Americans are for cash relief during the pandemic. A majority are for universal basic income in perpetuity. Um, so we just have to get more members uh, excited about this bill, uh, feel like it's a win for them feel like they'll be seen looking out for people because everything you just described bro about like us trying to build a future that's working for us 
um, you know, I, I was so pained to see that the United States of America right now is 28th in various uh, social progress uh, indicators. Yeah. You probably saw the same analysis. And these were things like infant mortality, uh, clean water, <laughs> public education, like, like, you know, pretty basic stuff. Um, and so we were 28th and that was pre-pandemic. I have a feeling that even our relative uh, stature has declined um, be, because we've dealt with COVID so much more disastrously than uh, a lot of other societies. Uh, like if you're looking for us to be able to actually uh, build a society we want for the future, nothing is going to be more powerful than getting resources into people's hands. And I know that you're pushing for it is dramatically increasing the chances of it happening every single day. Uh, so I just want everyone to get behind you, to be excited about you the way I am. Like I see you as a real kindred spirit. And, uh, you know, not just because we, we both are parents with two kids and I, you know, like, uh, and, uh, you know, children of immigrants and like breaking various barriers, uh, but because you and I have very similar uh, views on both the problems of the present and what the future could be. Uh, I'm just really glad you're in Congress, man. I, I'm like, well, I'm I just a that. huge as, admirer as, of yours. As one of my friends said to me uh, during, uh, when you were running, he said, you and Andrew are, are a lot uh, alike in ways. If you just had his charisma, I said, wow, all right. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I well, know I mean, I guess that, that, you're being described as charismatic in your, in your own way. So, uh, but I, I, I think, look, we, we, you're going to, uh, whatever you do next, and I, you're going to be part of the next generation of, of, of leadership. You've already had an incredible influence on Congress. I mean, I uh, don't want to uh, underestimate or put your supporters underestimate what you did. They, they, the idea of sending people checks uh, as a response, <laughs> it was laughed at initially when you put it. And, and now we're debating, okay, how long do we do it and what the income level is. But you've changed, right? Just like Bernie changed the debate fundamentally on Medicare for all. You know, when he took that up and no one was talking about it, now it has the majority caucus. You fundamentally have changed the debate in the country on cash assistance to people and more broadly helping uh, put people first in in our uh, democracy. And that's a, you know, that's, I think that's what people say, why do you do the politics? You know, when you can have an impact like that, and it's rare and maybe doing things for years, but when that happens, uh, there's no more gratifying feeling. I mean, it's something that's actually having an impact on people's lives. Thank you, Ro. Well, again, it, it, it's only going to have an impact if legislators like you um, uh, make it a law uh, and the policy of the land. But um, I will say to you on a personal level, uh, I was incredibly proud. I am incredibly proud of the presidential campaign. And there was part of me that was like, well, if that's like my major contribution, like I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, like this is like a you know, very, very worthy contribution uh, that I've mainstreamed uh, cash relief and universal basic income. Uh, and, and then you wake up the next day and then you're just like, okay, like, uh, uh, what could I do to, to like actually like uh, help get it across the finish line? Oh, I should like help my friend row. I should like so it, it, it's funny. It's like um, I, I am. I appreciate uh, the sentiment a great deal. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to a lot of the people that are listening to this. Um, but you know that like we we still uh, have to um, go from inspiration to policy, um, and, and I I feel like uh, you know we did open a lot of people's eyes and minds and hearts. Um, but there's still a fight ahead of us. And uh, I really appreciate you being one of the leaders in this fight. Uh, we're going to be with you every step of the way. I appreciate it. And I uh, 
look forward to uh, engaging and being with the movement you built uh, uh, every step of the way. And I guess let me reflect on what you said, because I think there was something very profound there where you said taking inspiration and making it into policy. And it's uh, if there's one thing I've learned in my four now going on five years in, in D.C., it's how hard that is. I thought the yes. hard thing oh, man, was, yeah. you know, yeah, building no, I don't public you. support, you know, and building, building the inspiration. And that's a, a necessary. Without that, you can't even get started. But even when you have the mobilized inspiration, it's amazing to me how many things don't move in Washington. And it's not always uh, corruption in the way you think of it. I was telling someone, I won't mention who, but there was one bill of mine that was clearly obvious. And it was a person, one staff person in one committee who didn't like it and wanted to kill the whole thing. So it, there are so many ways in Washington to say no. There's so many ways to kill an idea. There's so much risk aversion in how we operate. Uh, and uh, that it, 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 it's, it's a uh, Herculean feat to do anything major. Uh, but when it happens, when you do have sustained mobilization that isn't just a presidential campaign, but continues to fight, which you've done for uh, cash uh, relief, uh, then you see that things can do get done and can change. And so I have admiration for your supporters that they've stuck with this, stuck with you, uh, and have gotten more engaged, more involved after your campaign than just saying, okay, we did our thing and we made our contribution to this country. I've learned from you what the actual obstacles are uh, in terms of getting some of these bills passed. Is this going to be in your book? Because I, I would love to read like <laughs> chapters and chapters about like like some of your experiences uh, in Congress. I, I'm going to have some of it. I try to I try to focus on the ideas, but I I, I do think yeah, people probably would want to know some of the actual obstacles in in legislation. I think that is uh, so. Maybe I'll I'll include that. Do you totally should, and you should know that that's where my head is going, Ro is because uh, I'm reflecting on the fact that, look, if 55% of us are for universal basic income, problem solved, right? And then it's like problem not solved at all because of the stuff that you're describing. It's like you have Let to me, get into the, the machinery itself to figure out what it would take. And, and some of the checks, I mean, look, if you put aside, look, there's obviously some issues of the powerful have way too much of a voice and special interests and lobbyists. But there's another fundamental issue, which is it's a difference between a a startup in IBM. And there's a reason that IBM has all these safeguards because they're wealthy and successful and they don't want to take risks that are uh, too crazy. And so some of it is understandable. But here's the challenge for us. We're, uh, as America, we're the IBM, but we're living in a world where just being the IBM isn't going to be good enough to be competitive. Yep. And yep. the IBM has a lot of underlying problems that need structural reform. So we need government reform, not just of saying, okay, I'm against the special interests and I'm against the lobbyists. We need actual fundamental reform that allows us to make decisions. You are one of like the um, best situated people to figure out how to actually turn our IBM <laughs> into, uh, uh, you know, into a 21st century government. Uh, so count me in. Um, that to me is our next challenge. Like, uh, you know, that, 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 and um, it's the mechanics, it's the plumbing. Um, you know, it's like, like if you have all this energy coming into machinery that is uh, like either uh, not responsive or, or um, like not aligned or not adapting, uh, you're just gonna get frustrated. Um, and, and so that, that to me 
has to be where our focus is. So I'm going to be picking your brain a lot. I urge you definitely to include this in your book. Um, when the book does come out, we'll have you back on so everyone can uh, can, can make sure to, to get a copy. Um, so excited uh, that you are there fighting the good fight, my friend, and uh, we'll do everything we can to help. Thank you, Andrew. And I look forward to your implementing your 21st century vision of government uh, and uh, excited to be uh, partnering with you for the long run. You got it, brother. I will see you soon. Thank you so much, Ro. Thank you. Enjoyed it. <laughs>